where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is one true church, apostolic and universal, whose holy faith let us now declare. An affirmation of faith from Dr. Bruce Banner and Jennifer Walters, attorney at law. This is the good news which we have received and which we stand and by which we serve. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day, and appeared first to the women, then Peter, and to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One of God, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, in whom all things hold together, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body of the church, and by the blood of the cross reconciles all things to God. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy.
as always, the staff and the crew of the Method want to be responsible and let parents know that there is a parent advisory for the Method. We are out to reach college students and young adults using hip-hop music, Marvel, and Star Wars. And we want to reach people where they are. Some of the lyrics in our songs that we play are explicit and the subject matters that are covered in our Disney fan fiction are explicit when it comes to language, sexuality, partying, use of drugs, dealing with relationships, and violence. We're between the PG-13 rating and TVMA. I'm just keeping it real because if you're not 16 years old or older, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, please ask for permission to listen to the method. And if you're an old-fashioned Christian, it's okay if you listen to something else because we don't want to offend you. This isn't the church show for you. It's all right. We don't want to upset you because we are mindful that God loves everybody everywhere and can reach people in a whole bunch of different ways. some suggestions that you might want to consider when reaching out to others. First, you have to care about people no matter who they are. And then, you have to go where they are. And most importantly, you have to respect others. Respecting others is very important. that a copyrighted form of ministry, evangelism, discipleship, and polity of the staff and the crew of the method. But we use the Holy Club questions for sermons, biblical storytelling, 
newsletters, podcasts, community forums, congregational care, small group studies, mentoring groups for young adults, and to learn how to apply the Bible to our lives. Now, PK's favorite way to use the method is when we use these questions for community forums with the youth and young adults of the community. Dark Deidre's favorite way to use these questions is when we use these questions for Saturday Vesper. But my favorite way of using these questions is when I visit the sick and the shut-in. And I use these questions as topics of discussion. Everything that we do with the method is based on the 22 questions of personal reflection of John and Charles Wesley when they were students at Oxford. And there are 30 copyrighted ways that these questions can be used in ministry in the local church, in schools, both public and private, and at colleges and universities. Positively, Chrissy and I submitted to the U.S. Copyright Office a 60-page document on how these ways have been discovered over a period of 10 years. Yes, the purpose of the method is to use our unique gifts and graces to do our part to make disciples for Jesus Christ, and we use pop culture hip-hop, and current events to reach young adults, college students, and their parents where they are because we know that God wants to have a personal relationship with you because God loves everybody everywhere. later after I'm done voting. Oh, don't tell me you're still watching Dancing with the Stars. No, it's November 4th. It's midterm elections. What? I'm voting in midterm elections. What? Midterm elections. Yeah, you're breaking up. What are you saying? I'll call you later, Auntie. Bye. Love you, too. Yeah. Oh, Mr. John. Wow, I'm a big fan. I saw you perform last week in Duck Club was pretty, pretty crunk. Yeah, sometimes people think we kind of look alike. I don't know if it's the glasses or... Mm, no. Nah. All right, can we have the ballot? Oh. All right, there are voting booths from the windows over to the walls. Um, and rock the vote, dude. All right. Thank you. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Hey, y'all don't get me wrong, because I'm not here to tell you what to do. You can go either way. But I am here to inform you that you do have a right, and that's your right to vote. You realize there's 26 million people, all between the ages of 18 and 24? 26 million people! Man, we can make a crazy difference. I'm Darren, and I'm turning out for education. I'm EJ, and I'm turning out for marriage equality. My name is Lil Lena, and I'm turning out for reproductive rights. My name's Ioana, and I'm turning out for human rights. Hi, I'm Natasha, and I'm turning out for prison reform. executive producer of The Method, and I will show up in November to honor the sacrifice that our ancestors made for Blacks to have the right to vote. 
I'm Sophia, and I'm turning out for women's rights. I'm Devendra, and I'm turning out for deforestation. What's up? It's Lil John, and I'm turning out for the legalization of marijuana. I'm Ireland, and I'm turning out for global warming awareness. I'm Gabriel, and I'm turning out for racial equality. What'd you say? I said turn out for what, Nana? That is not what you said. Hi, I'm Fred. I'm turning out because I want to impress my friends. That's the only reason to ever do anything. After November, you can't hang out with Lil John no more. Oh, Nana. He's my friend. Be a me, Trump type. This is a new book uh, in, in my Peldre series, New Approaches to Religion, powered by Bekna Whitla, who's a younger Canadian scholar, uh, decolonial uh, conversations on liturgy, hymnody, songbird, and uh-huh. so on. So, What's the uh, name of the author? Uh, Bekna Whitla, uh, W-H-I-T-L-A. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. And that, that's a Canadian sister, huh? She is, uh, she's actually in the midst of a labor struggle at her own school, so I was thinking of her tonight because oh, yeah. uh, we had some conversations. Yeah. Where, where is it, though? <laughs> Which school is it, though? Uh, this is in Saskatchewan. Uh, it's St. Saint, uh, Saint Andrew's College. College oh, St. Andrew's. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we still have about 140 people. Let's bet you. Yeah. <laughs> let you yeah. know. We're chatting. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> no, I, I was I was doing that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like if you've ever been to an event with Dr. West, you know that it always this this coffee hour afterwards is really where stuff really gets good. So isn't that the truth, brother? Ann? We got right. precious memories, precious memories, my brother. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Maybe we could go down and, you know, just go and gra- grab grab something else. You know, a little libation would be nice. That would be good. Get, get little, <laughs> Wouldn't that little, be nice? Uh, yeah. Grab a little cognac in the name of Jesus. That's you know? right. yeah. <laughs> we already went to church, right? That's good. I like that. That's, if we write something together, we'll call it cognac in the name of Jesus. Huh? Cognac in the name of Jesus. That's the truth. Well, you could be uh, alliterative and say cognac in Christ. Yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that your 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 idea of collaborative um, endeavor amongst these four schools Monday. is got to be put on the agenda. Mm-hmm. Oh, please say Louisville. Don't forget Louisville Seminary, please. Whoa. Let's go! The alarm's been cleared. Give a fuck. He's about to come on the stage. When I was on this stage in 2019, we introduced Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And believe it or not, almost everything we announced that day has come to fruition. And now, believe it or not, we are approaching the end of Phase 4 when She-Hulk Attorney at Law comes out. And this November, Phase 4 comes to a close with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Black Panther is the end of Phase 4. What in the heck is Phase 5? Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania kicks off Phase 5 on February 17th. We've got, coming to Disney Plus, Secret Invasion. Finally, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out in May. 
We are shooting right now our new series for Disney Plus, Echo, and I can't wait for you to meet all of her characters. We are in production on The Marvels, the sequel to Captain Marvel 2. Loki Season 2 is shooting right now. Blade, starring Mahershala Ali, comes out November 3rd, and we start filming this October. Our series Ironheart is a part of Phase 5, shooting right now. Turning in her own series, Agatha, Coven of Payoff. And I am very happy to confirm that Sam Wilson will be appearing in the next Captain America film, which is called Captain America New World Order. And rounding out Phase 5, we have a series on Disney+. Plus. This is very special. It is going to be an 18-episode uh, first season. 18-episode Daredevil Born Again. And starring in that show are two people I hope you've heard of, Mr. Charlie Cox and Vincent Zanotti. The end of Phase 5, July 26, 2024, with this. We will go through the team uh, another day. There are many more surprises to come. If you guys wouldn't mind looking ahead a little bit with me to phase six. Oh my God! Oh my God! Phase six, confirming Fantastic Four. November 8th, 2024. Now there's a lot of dates there, and I am not, there'll be plenty of time to have more surprises to take you through everything, but you might want to know how Phase 6 ends. And there are two films that bring Phase 6 to a close. from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. 
Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, but you shall raise up the foundations as many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. If you restrain from trampling the Sabbath, for pursuing your own interest on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Fogum day, Pupapulo day. Dio gratias. Amen. Our first sacred Jedi text reading comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Updated Edition. Hear now the words of the God of the Angel Armies. Have you not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given? If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape it if we reject the one who warns from the heavens? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our second sacred Jedi text reading comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Updated Edition. Hear now the words of the God of the angel armies. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with the spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There is six days on which to work. Six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him, saying, You hypocrites! 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be set free from bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the wonderful things that he was doing. Vobum day, popopulo day. Dio gratias. Amen. All right, we are back. Yes, we are. We want to thank God for our ministry and our congregation for listening. And we hope that we inspire you to want to live by the G code. If you're listening with us for the first time, well, I guess what we need to do is tell you exactly what the G code is. The G code is just our way of living out the general rules of John and Charles Wesley. We had to put a new spin on them with some wise words in order to live by them. So we live and die by this. We do everything we can to do no harm. We strive to do as much good as we can. And we show that we are doing this by being good people and neighbors. And that is the G-Code. And guess what? If you're down with the method, you can live and die by the G-Code too. If you want to transform your life and community, just start with the G-Code and go from there. More is coming up next, so we want you to keep it locked right here. Like I said, it's so good to see you, and I'm glad that you're doing so well. So, like I was saying, so tell our listening congregation about your adventures in Europe and some of the topics that you talked about in your lecture series. So a lot of what I did was introducing this new book, uh, which is titled Theology in a Capitalocene, and then the subtitle is Ecology, Class, Identity, and Solidarity. And that's basically talking about what theology is doing, what Christian life looks like in this capitalocene, which is probably not a term that's familiar to a lot of people, but what we're talking about is capitalocene is the age when money rules supreme. I think a lot of people are agreed that this is the age right now. You know, if you look at these ages, there's the geological age of the various, you know, Pleistocene is the last 10,000 years, you know, since the Ice Age. And then a lot of people, um, you know, Holocene, I think is the one uh, that's the current one. So uh, a lot of people are saying, uh, you know, we now live in the Anthropocene, which is the age, the geological age when humanity ruled supreme. And some of us are saying, not quite correct, we're actually not in the Anthropocene, but in the Capitalocene, because it's not all of humanity that rules, but it's big money. So that's what I've been talking about, and um, there was some events in Italy, in Bologna, we had the European Academy of Religion. There are some younger scholars there that really uh, are interested in talking about these issues. Not only what's the problem here, how does money rule us, but what do we do about it, right? How do we resist that? Gave some presentations in Berlin and Germany on that um, with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, then moved on to Amsterdam. There was a society for uh, the advancement of socioeconomics. Those are all scholars that think about alternatives, and that's what interests me. Not so much 
complaining about what's going on, but how do we think about alternatives? So did y'all have any discussions with the theologians on some type of alternatives when you did your lecture series that kind of piqued your interest that people are kind of like throwing out there? Because, you know, with your webinars, um, when we air them, um, they say some specific things um, that pique people's interest on what could be the next steps in the things that um, we could do in order to improve the quality of life for just everybody. I know the last one that I aired something about the old African or African-American um, capitalism of the different co-ops. And I don't know if I'm talking about it correctly, but uh, the, I think Dr. Schaefer hosted that webinar and they just talked about how um, back in the day, how this form of capitalism was what most people used and it was more equitable. More people got a piece of the pie versus the capitalism that we live in in America. Did y'all kind of discuss those kind of things when right yes yeah that's that's very much what we're thinking about this is also the work that we're doing here at Vanderbilt in the Wendling Cook program and religion and justice that's the program I'm, I'm directing here at Vanderbilt and uh, cooperatives uh, to start there is, is really uh, a very interesting alternative because in a cooperative business uh, especially one that's owned by working people right uh, by the employees in a cooperative business, there's not one boss. And the problem with the one boss is not just that there's somebody uh, who can tell you what to do and you have no rights and no voice, but it's also that uh, usually, uh, you know, whoever's the boss or whoever's behind the boss is, is raking in all the profits. And, and that's really capitalism. So if you wonder well, what is capitalism, well, um, someone once put it to me this way, uh, the golden rule, uh, of course, people think they know the golden rule, but this is really a joke. Uh, this joke was to say, the golden rule means the one with the gold rules. <laughs> one who has the gold rules. And I think this is what we see in capitalism. The one who has the money or the ones who have the money, right? The owners, investors, CEOs, so on. They're the ones that rule and uh, everybody else has to follow orders. So, what cooperatives do is exactly the opposite. It's not one person rules from the top down, but everybody is an owner. Everybody has a voice. Uh, it's not just about how much money you're making, but also do you have some input in what you're doing? And what we're saying is uh, this is really an alternative to capitalism. So it's, it's not just a nicer capitalism, but this is something that turns the rules of the economy around not just that everybody's taken care of, but also that everybody has a voice. That That's what's important to us. And what you were just talking about uh, in terms of the African-American communities, there's a history there where African-American communities uh, through the ages have actually done this kind of work. They've had co-ops, they developed them. Uh, a lot of these co-ops were actually quite successful. The reason why a lot of them don't exist anymore is not because they failed, but because they were actively destroyed. Uh, oh, once they wow. Became, once they became too successful, 
the dominant business said, well, this is too much competition and they found ways of tearing them down, getting rid, getting rid of them and so on. There's a book uh, I can recommend uh, by a colleague of mine, Jessica Gordon Nimhard, and the title of the book uh, is Collective Courage. This is all about the African-American cooperatives, what they've done, how successful they've been, and also what happened to them, you know, how they were in many cases destroyed. So like Black Wall Street in Oklahoma, that's just one of the many examples that history can tell about how these co-ops or economies have been actively destroyed. Dr. Rieger. Yeah, I mean, Black Wall Street, that's, that's an interesting one. I guess a lot of people don't even know uh, that there have been African-American communities that have been very successful in business. And, and of course, that has always been, um, you know, there always has been pushback against that. But on the other hand, keep in mind, too, this is not just about, uh, you know, um, people now reproducing the capitalist system. And uh, I mean, uh, African-American communities have done various things. I mean, African-Americans have been successful capitalists, but African-Americans also have built alternatives. And that's what we're interested more, you know, not just, you know, how do we have a more inclusive capitalism, but how do we build an economic system that's more just, that's more equitable, and where people not only read the benefits of their work, but also have some input. We talk about this as economic democracy, which is a, a new term for a lot of people. I mean, everybody knows America is the land of democracy. But when we say democracy, we mean political democracy, right? Elections, voting, uh, political system, Congress, Senate, all that stuff, which is important and a great accomplishment. But what we're not talking about is uh, that parallel to this political democracy, there could also be economic democracy where businesses are not run from the top down, where workers have a voice, where people have an input, where communities matter. And of course, uh, not just human communities, but even the non-human right now, None of this really factors into business decisions. Mm. So, Dr. Rayner, why do you think that it, like the establishment, can, what, what is it about the pushback about giving people more that is just so concrete and so stoic, I mean, so strong? I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense to me. And I'm trying to understand why this isn't implemented in our world today. And it kind of reflects on the equitable uh, lifestyle that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. Why is it that people are pushing back from it so hard? Do you have like an idea of why maybe? Yeah, no, that, that is a great question. And uh, I mean, let's talk about religion here as well. I mean, we've been talking about politics, the economy, but uh, I think you can see the same structures in religion too. So if you look at average churches that you know, uh, oftentimes the people who have the money have the influence in these churches. You know, people think churches are somehow run by pastors. But most pastors know that their power is limited and that they yeah. have to listen to who gives the money, who has yes. the interest. Yeah. Why, why is it? Well, uh, I think uh, because we somehow equate uh, having money with having rights, you know, having 
power uh, being important. And so uh, the people that have the money uh, then basically expect that there will be done. Uh, and also, uh, if you think about it, I mean, uh, there's an interesting thing in religion on uh, sort of in American law, we have the separation of church and state, which mm. I think is a good idea, you know, uh, do not confuse church and state, religion and politics. But we don't have any separation of church and money. So, <laughs> That's true. you know, uh, and, and you see this in everyday church life. I mean, uh, any church that has some money or some people with money in it knows what I'm talking about. This is oftentimes, uh, you know, without even reflecting. I mean, this is not a not even a conversation. Uh, it's simply accepted that this is the way things happen. People who have the money have to say, and uh, that's pretty much the same everywhere in society. So you can say that's the one that you can't. That's the way the economy is run. That's the way churches are run. Uh, but let's be really honest. That that's also the way politics is run. Yeah, because uh, we have some safeguards. Yeah. Are y'all addressing some of the issues through uh, newsletters through the Winland Cook program, like with the decision of the Roe versus Wade stuff and other things of that nature? Or are y'all publishing articles concerning that on the website? Uh, yeah, we're addressing a lot of these things. Uh, if anybody's interested, they can go to our website. Uh, this is the Wendland Cook's website. Uh, it's one word, religion and justice, religionandjustice.org. That's our website. And uh, we're commenting on a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, what we were just talking about. Um, we haven't done a lot on the Roe versus Wade yet because we have a big series of webinars coming up this fall, starting the last Monday in September and then every Monday in October. Uh, we're doing a series of webinars uh, with activists and theologians and people who are at the forefront of what is now called reproductive justice. Okay. Uh, so, so this is not just about, you know, I mean, people think Roe versus Wade is, is mainly about abortion, which is very important here. But, uh, you know, we're talking about reproductive justice, which has to do with more than abortion. Oh, yes, with the availability yeah. of contraceptives and proper women's health care, because I've been reading the articles because women are going through situations where um, they have to go through so much to be able to get a legalized abortion because their fetuses aren't viable. And that is so dangerous to the woman once the you know, having a, a you know, a non-viable fetus in your body that adds to sep sepsis and septicemia and all kinds of illnesses that can kill them all. Right, it's all these questions and healthcare, of course, is a central one here. Uh, questions of economic uh, justice is part of it too, because who has access to healthcare? Who can even afford uh, to get treated? Uh, who can afford to get, you know, uh, the medical attention it takes, the community's attention, and so on? So, so all of this is is really crucial, and so this is why for us the term reproductive justice matters. Uh, by the way, this is a term that came out of some work done in the 1990s um, by all black women. Uh, one of them was Tony Bond. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tony is still very active. Uh, she'll be on one of our webinars. Actually, oh, wow. she'll, be, uh, she'll be kicking off 
the first webinar uh, first the last Monday in September so so this comes really out of uh, you know uh, African-American women's communities uh, grassroots communities that are most affected by this so yeah thanks for for checking in I think this is gonna be a really crucial conversation so uh, yeah I'm check excited out about hearing them do I have permission yeah. to hear them on my radio show let me check with everybody but I, I i think it would be good uh the more attention this gets i think this is such an important national issue now and it really brings everything together so you have the question of gender you have the question of race you have the question of wealth and poverty and religion i mean religion has been in so many ways a problematic influence in this conversation but what we're saying, I mean, we're all um, in the business of religion and theology. We're saying religion can also have a positive influence, and that's what we want to talk about. Oh, wonderful. So now I want to hear about your new book. <laughs> it's all related, really. Yeah, so this is this uh, project that I mentioned a minute ago, Theology in the Capitalocene, uh, this written term of the Capitalocene. But it's really saying that money now rules the world i mean my my great-grandmother uh you know back in germany uh, always had this expression in german she said geld regiert die welt uh, money rules the world uh, is is what she was talking about and and my great-grandmother basically assumed well that's just the way it is you can't do much about it and uh, this new book theology in the capitalocene is really talking about the truth that money does run the world, uh, not just politics and economics, but also religion and theology. But once you said it, once you look at how that happens, then you can start building alternatives. So that's the point of the book is really looking at if that's the case, what do we do about it? And what I'm really arguing there is, first of all, we need to understand where is God in this? I mean, a lot of people assume that God by default is on the side of the wealthy and the mighty. And uh, that's not the Jesus story. It's also not necessarily the story in the Hebrew Bible. And uh, once you figure that out, the question is, how do we bring people together and embody life differently? Mm. That's wonderful. And, and in the book, you go into specific details about that, like in the different chapters and do you give us like a short theory of next steps or the next mm -hmm. conversation kind of questions because i know in some of your books that you've written they can almost be like a small group study because of the questions at the end of the chapters is this a book that congregations could use as a small group study before Sunday school or small groups? It, it, it is because it, it really talks about, it, the various chapters talk about uh, specific problems of the capitalism. The first part is about ecology. The problem about the environment is not just that uh, there's some damage done, but who's doing the damage and what to do about it. Uh, you know, uh, other chapters deal with the wealth divide, uh, other chapters deal with questions of how issues of racism and sexism figure into this conversation because they're also useful for uh, you know this wealth divide to be maintained and the final chapter uh, this is going to be an interesting one uh, it's the conclusions that's actually on reparations uh, and when I say reparations uh, I'm really starting with the question of 
reparations to African Americans for slavery. Mm. And uh, you know, people might think, well, that's interesting to African Americans, but I'm really saying this is one way to overcome a lot of this damage that has been done in the capitalist scene. And you basically start, that's that's one of the points of the book, uh, you really start where the damage is most profound, you know, and uh, I mean, slavery, if you think about it, is sort of uh, one of the worst kinds of things that humans can do to each other. And once you address that, uh, a lot of other things will be addressed as well. I wonder why it's such a pushback for reparations for African-Americans. Do you think that the church might have something to do with the pushback, Dr. Rieger? Probably so, because, uh, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of what's happening in the church is, is really determined by the status quo. And so pushback here means, you know, people that have some power pushing back uh, because they don't want to lose their power. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in mainline churches, when we talk about racism and sexism, there is acknowledgement that these are problems. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people realize that racism and sexism are deeply problematic. And if you look at what the churches have produced over the years, there's apologies for that, there's statements about how this is wrong, there's commissions. Uh, but we've never gone really to the point of saying, how do we put things right again? What does it take? Does it take more than just a confession? Does it take building something? And so what the book is arguing uh, is, uh, there's ways to make things right that could be seen as practicing solidarity. So this is not just a, let's make things right for the least of these, but as we make things right for you know what the Bible would call the least of these, we're really making things right for everybody. So so the the healing here is not just uh, for those who have experienced the greatest oppression, but really also for, for everybody else involved. So, so that's how you move forward, as, as I'm arguing in the book. Oh, that's so interesting, because I've asked white people, I'm like, what's the problem? Not in a bad or rude way, but I'm just like, something that always rings true to me is like in one of the uh, webinars that you talked about how Germany from where you came from the country wasn't should reprimands be done but how do we do it kind of thing and I've even made reference to what you said in those webinars and sermons that I've you know done here in Arkansas and I'm just like that is so true it's not if we should do it but how we should do it and I just don't see how doing that could take power away from somebody maybe you can educate me on that because i don't see how power can be taken away when you're making things right in my opinion it would make the ruling class a more just ruling class in doing something like that that's just my opinion on how i see it but maybe i'm wrong i mean once you start preparing relationships uh, you I mean if, if you understand power as the domination of some over others uh, you, you don't have this domination power as much anymore if you give that up you know if other people get empowered then those who are usually 
the ones or the ones who are used to be the ones in power will make to, will have to make certain concessions. Uh, I mean, let me give you an example. Germany, since you brought it up, has actually you know been paying reparations to Israel uh, for for decades. Mm. And, and they've done this because they realized that what Germany did during the Nazi regime and the Holocaust was wrong. This was something that was clearly wrong, damage was done. And so Germany has been paying reparations, millions of billions, uh, trillions of dollars to Israel. And there's good reasons for that. And in some ways that has been a very good thing for, for everybody. But think about it this way, if you pay trillions of dollars, you don't have it anymore. You have to give something up, you know. That's the first step. I'm actually talking about these German reparations in the last chapter also because wow. there has been a problem in the sense of, you know, just handing out money. So, so as Germany went along and handed out money, what happened on the side of Israel was that money helped build a lot of good things, but it also helped build some inequality and so Israel is actually now economically speaking one of the more unequal industrial countries oh so, wow uh, so there's a way of you know doing reparations that might not promote equality and what I'm saying is there's other ways of, of really uh, doing reparations and promoting equality but that goes back to the economic thing again when you think about who's really benefiting from things and who isn't Slavery, of course, is the greatest example for a, an economic distortion that affects human relationships, right? I mean, yes. the relationship of the slave owner and the enslaved person is such that there's an absolute power differential. The enslaved person has no rights, no power. And that's, of course, what has to be repaired. That's, that's what's wrong. If you take this to capitalism today, you could say, well, the employer has a lot of rights and the employees usually don't have as many rights this is why people organize we see this a lot today you know starbucks workers saying you know we have no power we have to organize so if you think about reparations in this sense you know uh, not just handing people some checks and some money but to say we're really addressing that which has been most distorted namely relations of labor which are relations among people and then you're empowering people to actually build something else uh, that to me is a much more promising way forward and imagine if this happens in the african-american community that you know african-americans whose ancestors were enslaved now build relationships where they have more of a voice where they have more power where also some of the financial benefits come to them something that's certainly going to help address racism in a whole new way but it's also gonna be beneficial for the rest of society because if we're building new relationships that's great for you know not just african-americans but immigrants you know uh, other minorities and ultimately it's great for the whole society because now we're paying attention to a sort of relationship that we're not always paying attention to okay whenever it happens would even poor whites be able to benefit from that kind of thing too that's my point exactly so okay. if you think about what is it that uh why why are people poor you know of course uh the american myth is people are poor because they're lazy uh, but we also know that people are poor because they're exploited you know they work hard i mean a lot of poor people as you know 
who not only work one job, some work two or three jobs, you know, part-time jobs. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, why why is it that you're working basically 16 hours a day and more that you're not a millionaire? Well, <laughs> it's not because you're lazy, but because a lot of work is being exploited. And once that changes, you know, once your work is no longer exploited, but valued, uh, that will definitely benefit poor white people also. Oh, that's good. So tell us how we can purchase your book. Is it available on Amazon? Anywhere you can, yeah, Amazon for sure. Any place you can buy books, uh, theology in the Capitolocene. Um, it's, I made sure with the publisher that it's available as a paperback. So that means it's also going to be affordable. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these books these days are getting more and more expensive. So we tried to keep the price at a pretty decent level. Uh, the trick for people is always, uh, you know, uh, how do you spell my name, right? York, Rieger. <laughs> sometimes I have to sort of just spell it. First name is J-O-E-R-G. Uh, and then the last name is Rieger, R-I-E-G-E-R. -E -E and the book is Theology in the Capitalism. So what, what's your plans this fall? You got a heavy load to teach in uh, the Divinity School? Um, yeah, I mean, my teaching load is, is normal, but I, I'm doing a lot of other things, um, speaking engagements, uh, webinars, and uh, we have a new group of fellows coming into the Wendland Cook program, so we're really looking forward to our new student faculty. Well, we have student fellows and faculty fellows, so there's going to be a lot of work that's going to be done. And I always say, you know, the Wendland Cook program for religion and justice is pretty unique because there isn't really any program like it in the United States. I mean, programs usually talk about all kinds of issues, but not about economic injustice and what working people can do to organize. That That's, that's what we're focusing on. That's a good thing to focus on. And that's why we're always going to promote you because I enjoy uh, just the conversations that stem with people that I talk to about that listen to the show and hear the webinars. I mean, it's eye opening and very educational. So I'm very grateful for, you know, the partnership with KABF and um, the Winland Cook Program for Religion. Justice. very, 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 very grateful. You have any final words, Dr. Rieger? Uh, well, just a word of thanks. I really appreciate the work that you're doing, Dina. Uh, thanks for not only doing this work, but for having done it consistently for many years. That That's greatly appreciated. And, uh, you know, uh, for your listeners, uh, check us out at religionandjustice.org. And um, we're still a fairly new program, so we're, we're really just sort of in our first couple of years. And we're seeking to build something uh, that, that hopefully will be relevant to people. Uh, if anybody is interested, we're starting this new project called Solidarity Circles, which is for faith leaders, uh, faith communities. So that means, uh, you know, anybody who is part of a faith community can work with us. Solidarity Circles put churches and solidarity economy together. So we think that by getting the churches involved in a more just economy, the economy benefits, but the churches also benefit because that helps you maybe uh, live a more faithful life, uh, think more clearly about your faith, who is God, what's the church all about, what, what does Christianity mean, 
those are going to be small groups. We're starting them in September. Are they going to be like online like this? Because I try to sign up for stuff and my schedule has been getting changed and stuff. So is it going to be like the little Zoom thing, small yes. and yes. discussion? Right. It's going to be online. Uh, we'll, we'll do this once a month for nine months starting in September. And uh, we, we've done a pilot project in the spring, and uh, we have people from all over the country. Actually, somebody from Europe even joined us. So, uh, yeah, that's, you don't have to be in Nashville or at Vanderbilt to work with us, but this could happen from anywhere via Zoom. Awesome. So just let me know how I can help and get the word out, because we really appreciate the work that you do. Me and Kristen say all the time, we appreciate it because it's just like you said, when someone in the prominent group is saying, this is not right, that makes everybody stop and think, well, is it really right or is it really wrong? Because if it's me saying it, like you said, it's just them saying this, complaining again. And I just appreciate that you, I, I think it's courage very courageous that you are doing what you're doing because you're saying something that's completely off the cuff to a lot of people right now. Something that people really don't want to hear. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, on the other hand, I, I have to say, I think more people are now waking up than we've seen in a long time. So, so, so we also need to say that, uh, you know, we're not just a few anymore more and more people are are really with us and joining us and that's exciting too so you know, that it is but it took you to take the first step dr rieger in yeah, some ways yeah. i'm just keeping it real yeah. <laughs> well so thanks for I'm saying that you know that you have some fruit in your labor <laughs> i appreciate you saying that yeah thanks it's been good to be with you thanks for having me and uh yes, i look forward to future conversations Yes, sir, and you have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. I am mighty.